welcome along to episode 169 of the Jersnet Weekly Podcast, the independent Rangers show made by fans for fans, where all of our content is always free. And if you like what we're doing here on the Jersnet Podcast, please do head over to the website at www.jersnet.co.uk. You can find loads of other great content, including a very friendly discussion forum, uh, lots of articles, match previews and reviews, social media, a lovely history archive, all that kind of good stuff. So jersnet.co.uk is the place to go. Uh, it's just gone 9.30pm on Sunday, the 13th of February. If you're joining us live tonight, then thank you very, very much for giving up your Sunday evening. Uh, please do let us know your questions, your comments, your thoughts on yesterday's game there in the YouTube stream. And uh, Frankie will be marshalling and patrolling that as always. The podcast is, of course, available for download first thing on a Monday morning. And that's wherever you get your podcasts from, including Acast, iTunes, YouTube, CastBox, Stitcher and Spotify. Please do give us a like and a subscribe if you've not already done so and help the show to grow. Uh, joining me this evening, uh, we're going to be taking like I say, a, a wee look back over yesterday's game and a couple of other bits and pieces uh, that throughout the week. We have got two old favourites of the Jersey Net podcast, uh, maybe one old, maybe one favourite. I'll let you decide which is which. Uh, we'll start with uh, with Stuart Weir. Stuart, I understand you're, uh, you're also a wee bit of a, a rugby fan and Six Nations is probably an exciting time for you. With a, a weekend where Rangers win and Scotland lose, is that a positive weekend or is that a negative overall? Oh, goodness. Um, probably depends how much I've had to drink. Um, I, would, I, would, I would say after yesterday, um, the, it, it would probably still err on the side of being a positive. I, I, I didn't think, to be honest... A lot of people sent Scotland down to Cardiff as as favourites. Yeah. Um, that never lives uh, lives with me, you know. Or I'm never comfortable with that. I always think their best is the underdogs. I think it was too much expectation. Scotland will always get ability to beat um, England at Murrayfield. I think the fact of the matter was that the Welsh were coming back from a heavy defeat against uh, the Irish, and we're always going to respond and react to that. And I think Scotland copped it. Made too many mistakes to win that game yesterday. And you just got to suck it up. And again, we've never won a Grand Slam in the Six Nations. And we rumble on for another year with that uh, stat at the back of our minds. Yeah, it's sort of always that glorious failure, isn't it? A glorious defeat for Scotland. <laughs> yeah. um, whether it's football, rugby, Cricket, I don't know. I don't really watch anything other than football, I guess. Um, we've also got Dougie with us tonight. Dougie, can you contribute to the rugby chat before we get on to the real sports? No, couldn't care less about rugby. <laughs> couldn't care less about the Super Bowl this evening either. I'd rather just sit here and chat about the Rangers. Yeah, right. Fair enough. We will dive straight in because I'm, I'm much like you. So we can talk curling, actually. I watched some curling this morning. That was good. <laughs> um, how can we be as bad at curling when we actually <laughs> invented the game? Do you know what I mean? That's... That that for me is the, is the ultimate. I mean, in any way, the Winter Olympics is just twenty seven different ways of sliding. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I can't disagree with that. Um, right, Stuart, we'll, we'll stick with yourself. Let's have a, a wee look at, at yesterday's successful uh, Scottish Cup game away at, at Annan Athletic. Take the trip down to Gallabank uh, in what in the first half seemed to be some of the most treacherous conditions that uh, Premier Sports cameras will ever pick up. Um, cameraman forgot his chamois cloth clearly and uh, we were subjected to negative views um, but ultimately a, a very solid result given those condi- uh, conditions I guess the, the big question Stuart is what did you what did you make of the performance? Uh, I, I enjoyed watching the game kaleidoscope cameras are my, my new favourite um, you know and then watching the game from the sort of 
level with the penalty boxes. That was novel as well. That was been back in the press box of Petodre. So, uh, no, all, all in all, I mean, it was a, it was always going to be a difficult game. And you're never quite sure how teams that uh, play on a normal surface, namely grass, are going to either adapt or cope. I think there's always, it's always a, a confidence issue. And it, ultimately, I think, actually, the weather conditions levelled up for both sides. I think it was a, it was kind of treacherous in places. Um, I, I, I was hoping that we would see the guys, the, the ground staff out with forks, sticking holes in the surface yesterday just to help the drainage, but it didn't, it didn't transpire. But all in all, you know, a Scottish Cup game, um, you're, you're, you're looking to win it, you know, whatever the circumstances, whatever even the performance. But I thought generally the performance was pretty good. The goals came at the, the right time. You know, anybody was sitting there thinking to themselves, well, 3-0 at half time, there could be six or seven in the cards. You're kidding yourself on. I think it was at 3-0, the game was over and the contest was over with. Annan improved in the second half. And I think Rangers were just happy to get out with unscathed, no red cards and suspensions and no injuries. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. Um, Dougie, there were 11 changes coming into the game there. Um, were you surprised to see so much rotation or um, did you expect that? And then really did these, I guess, fringe players live up to the, the expectations of a Rangers team? Ross, I wanted to see a, a number of changes uh, in the lineup. I think there was a lot of people who wanted the core members of the team to retain their place, to have Golden in particular. Um, but it was a really rare and, and a great opportunity to rest some of those key players before a really tough tie on Thursday night. Um, but it's also a good opportunity to give some of those players um, important minutes on the pitch. And when you look at the, the starting eleven and, e- and even the, the options off the bench, it's pretty clear that we've actually got a really high-quality squad filled with experience. You know, when you look at the starting eleven, for example, um, McLaughlin's a Scotland internationalist. Zakowski is a Polish under twenty one internationalist. Sands is uh, USA. Holland or Sweden. Barisic, Croatia. You, you know, you get Ramsey and Davis with one hundred and ninety nine caps between them for Wales and Northern Ireland. Diallo at Ivory Coast. Rufa Jamaica. Zakala at Zambia, and you bring off Itten, um, who's a Swiss internationalist, off the bench. So that's a really good squad. So. You know, I didn't have any concerns where I seen the starting eleven. It was very offensive, um, and I think it was good to see a team really go at Annan, who, who, let's be honest, that team should be more than capable of of beating. But as I said, it was it was more about the minutes on the park for a number of the players, um, players returning from injury, fringe players who hadn't got a lot of minutes. But I was particularly pleased that the manager put his faith again in some of the younger players. You know, we've seen King and Lowry um, again featuring. Um, but it was it was debuts for Charlie McCann and, and young Matthias Zukowski. Um and you know to your point there around did, did some of the fringe players take their take their chance? I think the young players certainly did. Um, all four of them really impressed me, and I think it's really exciting when you've got these kind of guys breaking through. And it'll be interesting to see how they do develop as our Rangers careers progress from here. I think on on that and the point you made there is is you know it was a good, I thought it was a good mix of players. Because you had the, the the kind of spine of the team, you had a goalkeeper, international goalkeeper. Hollander was making a comeback, and then you had the two guys in central midfield, Davis and Ramsey. I mean, they don't come any um, you know better prepared or experience wise. The thing, the thing that that I I, I quite liked was wasn't you know 
it was great the guys getting you know minutes on the pitch. For me, the biggest thing was actually giving these guys responsibility. You know, Rangers uh, have had a pretty terrible record um, in the in the Scottish Cup of late. You know, I remember going back to the '92 final when Rangers beat Airdrie, and that had been 11 years. And thinking to myself, well, that'll never happen again. And lo and behold, look how many years have passed since the last time, um, you know, Rangers won the Scottish Cup. So I think the responsibility at this stage of getting Rangers out of the quarterfinals, that, that would that would be good. That, that would, I would, you know, playing for Rangers uh, in a game like that would give some of the guys confidence, but also with that responsibility of making sure that Rangers' chances this season in the competition um, are extended and you're one of the guys that are going to make it happen. Well, I think that, that that brings us to talk about some of these players um, specifically. And, and Dougie, I'll come back to you. Aaron Ramsey gets his first start. Um, he's clearly been, uh, he's, he's coming to the club w- w- without full fitness. Um, and I must admit, a large part of me questions the wisdom of bringing in a, a half a season loan of someone who's not ready to hit the ground running. But he now he gets his first start. Lots of stuff made in the press about how his last start was at Zenith in the Champions League and, and now he's playing at Galabank. But what did you you make of his performance yesterday, but also the the attitude and the endeavour that he's shown since he's come into the club? Yeah, so full disclosure, um, like most people, I watched the game via a dodgy stream on my phone. Um, and at times I didn't know whether it was the dodgy stream or a really, really bad uh, weather conditions that needed that, a wipe of the camera. There was two guys um, standing on a roof watching the game. And I think they probably had a better angle than, than most of us sitting at home. Um, whilst I was feeding children and getting ready for a 40th birthday last night. So um, difficult for me to, co- to comment in detail on some of the individual performances. But, you know, from, from what I've seen on Ramsey, it's very clear he's a quality player. Um, he showed a lot of really nice touches, really unlucky um, with the goal that he scored. It was offside. It was offside. Um, great play from Zakowski. Um, he made a couple of um, good runs up the wing and put a couple of really good balls into the box. But it was a really nice back heel finish from Ramsey um, it wasn't the only nice bit of play that, that Ramsey um, done which I was watching but in terms of um, his attitudes um, he he was quite vocal on Twitter afterwards around delighted to get the minutes under his belt and I think that, that that's testament to his character that he wasn't egotistical about playing at, at Annan having previously played at Juventus against top opposition like Zenit in the Champions League he just wanted minutes in the park. And I think that's really refreshing because I'm a bit like you, Ross. Um, I, I'm excited by Ramsey. I was very delighted to see Ramsey unveiled on transfer deadline day. But talk is we've paid around two and a half million pounds um, for Ramsey to be here for the, the six months. And that's a lot of money. I don't question the money because that's not up to us as supporters to necessarily question um, what the club are, are spending on money. It's spending on players to bring them here. What I want to see from Ramsey is output. I want to see him prove to us that we were right to spend that money. Um, and as you said, he needs to get game time to get up to speed. Um, like Holanda, I possibly wouldn't have risked him on a plastic pitch, um, but it was good to get that 60 minutes under their belt. And I think hopefully that'll do them in good stead because um, at the party I was at last night, um, my core group of mates there were Rangers fans and we did get discussing Thursday night's game. And I think Ramsey and Hollander will likely feature at some point. So it was really good and really important to get those minutes under the belt. 
Yeah, there, there was obviously a lot of talk in the maybe the, the hour and a half up to the game when it became apparent that, that Ramsey and Holanda were, were starting. That how wise is it to risk them on that surface? Um, I think it's Doran's that came back from injury uh, against Kilmarnock on a plastic pitch and immediately was wiped out for another nine months or something. Um, I, I, we have not got a good track record of injuries on, on plastic pitches. Martin Waghorn as well um, was, was another one that I can remember. So I was worried about that, but I think you're absolutely right. The context of Thursday coming up, they need minutes, they need sharpness, they need fitness. Um, and, uh, you know, it also goes back to that thing, if we have that AstroTurf artificial surface at Ockenhowie, they should be used to it. They know what it means. Um, shouldn't be any issues there. Stuart, one player that we've mentioned a couple of times tonight is Matthias Zakowski. Zakowski, my Polish accent's not great, but I think we know who I mean. Um, never going to be easy for this lad coming in as uh, the understudy to the captain of the club. Um, but I think he, he, he played reasonably well uh, yesterday. He, he was fairly creative. He was fairly industrious. What did you make of his performance and, and, and what kind of role do you think he will play for the rest of the season and beyond for Rangers? Yeah, I mean, I thought he did okay. Um, I, I, I think um, ultimately, like the rest of the players in the team, you're looking for a steady performance. Just to touch again on, on what you were saying about Ramsey, I doubt very much, given what Rangers' expenditure is on having him in Glasgow for six months, I don't think he would have been pitched into that team without the manager asking him, do you fancy this? You know, I think you have to kind of safeguard yourself against some of those injuries that we've seen in the past. But um, in in terms of Zakowski, I, I think it was, um, at the back of my mind, there is a, a financial equation which basically says how much did it cost Rangers to bring this guy to Ibrooks against how much did they get for Patterson? And as long as you keep that, you know, somewhere at the forefront of your thoughts, it's it still looks a pretty decent deal, all in all. And you are looking for somebody, remember, you are looking for somebody uh, to understudy the captain. He's not going to get pitched in and suddenly be expected to play the next 15 games, uh, Touchwood, unless, um, you know, something drastic was to happen um, to, to, to the skipper. But the fact of the matter is that he is a guy who is being uh, groomed and ready for, ready for the future. And as we, we saw with Tavernier and Patterson, there's no way you can play the two of them together. Um, there is no balance to the team then, regardless of what people said about, or oh, you you stay and you hold and you go forward. It was never going to work. You can only play one at a time. And I think ultimately, yesterday, last night, as, as Dougie was saying there, that was a, a good way of testing just what he had within that squad. And I, and I think he was another one that put in a pretty decent, pretty competent performance. And what were really difficult conditions? I mean, you're absolutely right. It was it was a very competent performance, and a yes, it was a, a League Two side, a part-time side that we absolutely should be beating. But it was not an easy place to introduce yourself to, to a new fan base into Scottish football. Do you think, Stuart, that you know James Tavernier's thirty now, um, Zukowski's come in, 
I remember a couple of seasons ago, we were always talking about uh, where Warburton's only signing blokes from lower leagues of England, we should be looking at places like Poland. Well, we've gone out and we've got someone who played 18 games in the first half of this season in Poland uh, for a club that are currently in fifth in the Polish top flight. Um, to come in and be a backup, I, I, it's in, a, in a way, it's a, it's a bizarre signing, but it, it suggests to me that he's not here to be a backup. He doesn't see himself as a backup. He's 20, Tavernier's 30, and over the next 12 to 18 months, um, do you expect to see maybe a, a decline in the number of appearances from Tavernier and Zakowski might start to take over? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you look at it from a personal point of view, he is playing, you know, a dozen or so games, 18 games or whatever it is in Poland, and he's playing for a team that's, uh, you know, pushing towards the top half of the table, fifth, sixth place. He has got a chance to move to Rangers where he could be involved in European football at some point. And I think that in itself is an attraction that if he hung about in Poland for another two, three seasons, he still might never get that opportunity. And I think that that whole thing about Rangers and, and playing in Europe and doing well in Europe is an attraction to a great many players and and he is he is one of them and and you're absolutely spot on again about the, the whole you know thing a few years ago well we'll pick up lower league players in england and turn them into superstars no there are you know if you've got a scouting network you'll be picking players up from all over the place as Dougie alluded to there when he started reading the team out and all the countries they came from. I mean, it was more like a League of Nations last night than it was a, a, a Rangers team. Um, and it just shows you this a mix and balance that is within that squad. And ultimately, some of the guys that were playing last night will kick on from that experience. Others will maybe go back into hibernation until they're needed again. But, but all in all, I think it's a... It, you have to be seen to be trying to you know, shop in as many markets as possible for the best talent that's out there. And not all the best talent comes from Accrington Stanley or the lower reaches of the Scottish game. You sometimes have to cash your net a bit further. Sure, I'm going to do a wee detour here. We've signed two blokes from Accrington Stanley on the, on the same day. We've got Josh Windass and Matt Crooks. And remember, we were all so excited about Josh Windass because he's a flair player and he can, he can do this and that with the ball. Um, he's gone on to do nothing, right? Have you seen Matt Crooks this season at Borough? Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, yeah, unbelievable. Man unbelievable. of the match against Man United. Yeah, yeah, they've shifted him forward. He scored sort of eight, ten goals this season. Borough pushing for promotion. Um, he was crap. He was awful for us. Yeah, and yeah, um, that's funny, isn't it? Sometimes it just it just clicks. But that's the, that's well, the same that's as players. Sorry, that's the same as bringing players in. If you remember some of the players that Rangers have actually signed as big, big names. And they haven't really done very much. Equally, it'll work, it'll work reverse. Guys will, guys will spend a bit of time in Glasgow and then go elsewhere and suddenly look like absolute superstars. And I think that ultimately, you know, as, as Dougie was saying there, uh, and you said yourself, I mean, it was like, check, you know, check the, the Borough team, check the team sheet, on to Wikipedia, on to, on to FIFA you know everything from FIFA 15 to up to up to up to FIFA 23, just to make sure this is the one and the same guy because he he's unrecognisable from what we got in Glasgow. Yeah, absolutely. We've well, actually teamed me up really nicely, Stuart, for my next question. I'll I do try. It. <laughs> it's as if you've seen the agenda in advance. Um, I'll pose this one to, to Dougie. Stuart mentioned there about players. Some will some will kick on. Some might go back into hibernation. And also spoke about shopping in different markets. 
Um, that brings us to the enigma of James Sands. And it, it might be too early to call him an enigma, but uh, certain factions of the support already seem quite keen to write this guy off. Um, he was shifted to, to centre-half yesterday against Annan. Um, certainly didn't seem to do anything wrong, but also hasn't set the world on fire in his, in his short Rangers career so far. Um, how have you kind of viewed his performances and, and, and how do you see his future short and long term? I think the first thing to say is my dad is not a fan. Um, I sit beside my dad at Ibrox and the, the, the things that he points out about Sands is he tends to release the ball very early. So there's, there's, there looks like a lack of composure sometimes on the ball where he plays the ball first time a lot. He also plays the ball backwards a lot, which um, can be frustrating when you're playing against a low block at Ibrox, which is typically what Sands is playing against. Um, but for me, Sands has came with a big reputation. Um, I believe, from rumours and from what people replied to me via Twitter, I believe Claudio Reyna recommended Sands to um, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst from his time as um, involved in the, the New York City Academy. Um, so he comes with a big reputation. There's also a very high fee rumoured if we wanted to convert the 18-month loan permanent. I've seen £6 million rumoured. Um, don't know what credibility there is on that figure, um, but it's a high figure. Um, and when you look at James Sands at the moment, he doesn't look like a £6 million player. Don't want to compare him to you know, players across the other side of the city, but a £6 million future loan fee player should be playing at the level that you're seeing Yota play like, for example. So I don't think he's playing at a £6 million level, but I think we've got to remember that James Sands is both young and from um, a foreign country, another league. You know, he's came from the MLS, which um, possibly isn't the same standard as the SPL, despite some of the American journalists disrespecting the move when he joined Rangers. Um, I see James Sands long-term as Glenn Kamara's replacement. So I think he's been brought in in the January window to, to bed in and have this time to settle in to, to, to a big club, to a new city, to a new country, to a new style of football. Um, I don't want to write Sands off too early, um, and, I, and I'm not going to, um, but I don't think he's set the world alight yet. And for a potential future fee of £6 million, I, I, I possibly expected a bit more from him. But having said that, I think he looks a tidy enough footballer. I think the touches he is showing, despite giving the ball away quickly and passing it backwards, I do think he looks like he's a technically decent enough footballer. I think we just need to tie him down to a certain position mm-hmm. and give him a, a, a run of games. And, you know, we were speaking earlier on about um, trust and faith um, and Stuart was referencing putting the, the, the team sheet out against Stan and you're putting that trust and the faith in those players to take against the quarterfinal. I think sometimes like Sands, you, you just need to put that trust and faith in a player and say, right, this is your run of games. Show us what you've got um, and we'll know then whether he's he's good enough longer term. I think that was six million Dembele dollars that that um, was, was going to be the, the, the transfer fee in that one. Just what you said there, Dougie, I, I would have to agree with you. I think the guy, uh, what, what's his best position? You know, when we saw um, his name mentioned when I moved to, to Rangers, it was, well, he's a defensive midfield player. And then you saw some of the, the, the kind of s- s- scouting reports from teams in Germany looking at him, and they had him as a, 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 a centre-back or a 
you might describe a pivot and a three-man defence and all the rest of it. You know, and, and there are certain players through history. I, I would never say that Sands is going to turn out to be the next uh, Declan Rice, but the fact is, Declan Rice was being shunted from pillar to post for a time. Oh, he can play centre back. We'll just play him at centre back. Oh, he can play here. He can play there. And it wasn't until he was given a regular place in the West Ham team that you've actually seen the guy, you know, thrive. And and Rangers historically have had that with players down through the ages as well. You know, you look at guys like. John Brown, who became a legend at Rangers, played everything from midfield to left back and then centre back. Avi Cohen, when he was at Ibrox as well, Avi's a great player. Graham Souness, uh, you know, said himself, Avi Cohen could play anywhere, and quite literally, Graham Souness did play everywhere. And 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 I think you know, it's it's going to be difficult as well for him to get game time when you see the players that Rangers have got in that particular position, central midfield players, Rangers seem to have gone from having like one or two to suddenly having like five or six that can all play in that in that role. And I think whoever, shine, whoever shines through and whoever produces the most consistent performances will eventually get that place as a, you know, as a, as a starting place. I mean, up until uh, a, a matter of weeks ago, there were one or two who, again, a bit like Sands, was like, well, is he any place at Ibrox that should be showing him the door? And within a matter of two or three games, all of a sudden these guys have turned into mainstays in the Rangers team and we can't drop them. So where's Ramsey going to play? You know, fans are fickle and experts at times, but I think ultimately you have got to give guys minutes on the clock just to see what suits them and where they fit into a particular side and into a particular um, system that uh, the, the the manager may want to play in any given game. One of the fears I've got about Sands, and it's it's a fear that I've got about Gio next season, you just spoke about Sands and his versatility on, on the pitch. Where he played for New York City was actually the right centre-back of a back three, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gio did play a back three when he managed in China. And one concern I have is next season, we are signing players that are familiar with the back three. When you think of Suter as well, um, we're linked with Daniel Doeke at Vitesse. He's a back three as well. My only concern just now is that we might be thinking going to a back three from next season. And that concerns me because, one, I, I don't think it suits Scottish football. I think when you, you look at the low block, for example, you don't need three central defenders to be at the back because it's so seldom that you you actually have teams pushing onto you. Um, so I'm a wee bit nervous about um, about any plans in the future of, of, of possibly changing formation. I'm just hoping that um, Sands is being brought here to develop as a defensive midfielder. And as you said, we've got an abundance of them. Hearts, you you know, as you said, you're looking at Lundstrom and you're thinking he's undroppable um, alongside Ryan Jack. You then have Jack missing for the, the Hibs game. So you then start Kamara alongside them and you know, one of the things that I've often said, and it's a criticism that I have of, of Rangers, is we've not really enhanced our starting eleven. But when you look at guys like Glenn Kamara, who who didn't play against Hearts, and we are putting a plus £15 million price tag on Glenn Kamara, it's very difficult to sign somebody that walks into that starting eleven that immediately ousts a player that we value at £15 million. So point being, I agree, Sands needs a bit more time to, to show what he can do. Can I maybe just go back on to Lundstrom again? Um, he's a guy who, 
was signed by Steven Gerrard. And if you think about it, Steven Gerrard and Gary McAllister, two of the best midfield players, you know, English football has seen in the last, you know, 20 or even 30 years. And he did not look comfortable. Now, I don't know what instruction he was getting. I don't know sometimes what the system was. But within the space of about, you know, six, six weeks, with Giovanni Van Bronckhorst um, at the club, all of a sudden Lundstrom knows what he's doing. And not only does he look as if he knows what he's doing, and I go back to the word again and use the word trust again, Van Bronckhorst trusts him sufficiently to basically tie down that midfield and allow others to play around about him. And the guy looks transformed. Now, he, you know, again, touch wood, he, it might not last, but you have to think that the guy looks as if he, he is on a game just now. And and that can only be good going forward. Now, whether he is a, a starter or whether he's one of these guys, you know, that you depend upon coming off the bench to, to close games out. Again, that was a failing that, that was levelled at him when, when Gerard was there. He's bringing this guy on to close games out and we're not closing these games out. You know, I, I I wonder what his capacity will be or what his role will be, but ultimately, he looks like a, he almost looks like a January signing compared to what went before. Of course, I know we massively digress here, but Gerard for being such a top elite central midfielder, his record in the, the you know the recruitment area for for central midfield is not great. When you think of Zungu coming in, we've mentioned Lindstrom, Bakuna as well as another one, albeit he scored for Birmingham at the weekend. You know, I've not written off Lundstrom. I wanted Lundstrom sold in January, I'll be honest. But it was, it was because he's, he's seen as being a high earner. I genuinely thought that we would be able to to bring somebody else in that could feature in the starting 11 on that kind of similar wages. But there are certain games that suit certain players. You know, I think it was in around October, um, Lundstrom played against Hearts and he got man of the match and then he went in a good spell. You look ahead to Thursday. I'm, I'm looking at the chat just now. And, and, and there's a lot of people talking about who would start central midfield on Thursday. I wouldn't start Lundstrom. I don't think I don't think the game on Thursday's a, a Lundstrom game. And in that role, I would rather have Kamara for his calmness and possession, his technical ability, his ability to play in the, the, the kind of more expansive game. Um, but I tell you what, the weekend afterwards, I'd bring Lundstrom back in again. And I think that's the, the advantage of having a, a big and strong squad as you can pick the players that are best suited to, to the opposition. In the last, I mean, the last couple of games, it was almost like this guy can run. You know, it was almost as if he was nailed to a particular spot in the pitch, and all he did at half time was basically move the rope and put him back into the other half for the second half because he 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 didn't move. And this guy's game when he was at Sheffield United was all about movement. Was all about, you know, it wasn't going to be a prolific goal scorer but he was in and around the opposition box and he was in and around his own box to break things up as well. And I think that's a Lundstrom that we've seen of late and long may it continue. You see, I, I, I find myself feeling a little bit sorry for Steven Gerrard, who, you know, it, it was fairly apparent for a, a long, long time that he was crying out for a, a strong midfield and, and to, to reinforce the midfield. And you get given Bongani, Zungu and Juninho Bakuna and he's out the door for six weeks and we bring in Aaron Ramsey. I mean, he must be looking around going, <laughs> like, are, you, are you kidding? 
Um, I, the only thing that worries me is that having so I see, many... I see Jim Bone in that one. Basically <laughs> coming on, let's see what you could have won. You know. <laughs> we, we send... Uh, we sent Gerard down to Villa with a speedboat instead. Yeah, um, yeah, a tease made. <laughs> tease made. Um, I, I just I worry that having so many options in the centre of midfield, um, it, it it just it, it it might stop us from having a settled squad or a settled first choice. And and you know we get into that position going we're February now, middle of February. Does anyone actually know our best eleven? Probably not. Um, Ross, you just need to look at the comments right now. Nobody can agree in the midfield three for Thursday night. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's the thing. It's, um, I think I think the actual best midfield three or whatever it is that Rangers have got just now. I think you should maybe ask the opposition managers who have had to face them in the last couple of games because none of them had an answer as to how to actually get the better of that midfield, regardless of what midfield. And I think that shows you the level that these guys are playing at. Yeah. No one thing I'd say, uh, Ross. You know, we we spoke about getting the minutes under the belt of some of the players um, against Annan. There's two players that when they get fit and when they're up and running, I can't see them not being in our best midfield three, and that's Ryan Jack and Aaron Ramsey. When the two of them get properly match fit, for me, they are first picks of the starting eleven. Yeah. Well, you saw that with Ryan Jack against Hearts, didn't we? I mean, he was, um, or, or even the second half against Celtic. You just saw what what we've been missing. Um, but we don't really know the situation with Ryan Jack and his injuries going forward. And uh, I don't think we can ever really pin hopes on him, given us a, a prolonged period of fitness. Um, to turn this from a kind of positive, it has been a very, very positive weekend for Rangers. I, I think we all probably really enjoyed the game yesterday, if nothing else. Um, but one negative for me is uh, is Scott Wright, Stuart. Um, Scott Wright, came in 12 months ago, 13 months ago with a lot of promise and um, really seemed to impress in his early days at Rangers, but he's not really kicked on. And again, yesterday I felt he was a little bit anonymous, clearly not the conditions that he's going to thrive in on that artificial surface and in that weather. Um, but it feels like this guy has quite a few chances now off the bench in the past year and it's not quite clicking. Um, what's your assessment of, of Scott Wright so far? Uh, I mean... We are now at show 169, and I, and I feel I'm, sometimes I've maybe been on 165 of them. But um, in, in terms of Scott Wright, he is a guy, wingers as a breed don't always play at 100%. And even, even the very best wingers that, that Rangers have ever had in their, their ranks haven't always been given nine out of ten and five stars every time they've played. I think the difficulty he has got is he's been given a number of chances, but it's where and when those chances have come. And for him to suddenly just hit a switch and turn it on when he knows that at best he is back up to you know one or two other guys that might play that winger role or that wide role I think maybe the the pressure or the level of expectation might be a bit of a burden on him, I'd like to see him getting a run of games for instance if, if they played Annan, you know, not every every week you've got to play Annan and then play against, you know, one of the top teams from the Bundesliga but it'd be, it'd be good to see what he, he might do if 
Rangers were to play, say for instance, Dundee or Ross County, off the back of playing against Dan and, and he started both of these games. And I think also as well, the manager has got to, you know, at times you have to tell players. I, I, I remember, you know, I've, I heard, you know, Alex McLeish and Dick Advocate and Walter Smith all make reference to this at some point or another, that you've got to tell the players what you want them to do and give them advance notice sometimes. It's not a case of throwing them a jersey and saying, here, you're playing on Saturday. Sometimes you've got to give some of these guys advance notice just so they can get their game head on. And I, and I do think sometimes that maybe, you know, in, in Wright's case, the games are not coming thick and fast. In fact, it's quite thin and sparse. But again, as soon as he gets on the pitch, he's got to produce. And that isn't that isn't easy when much of the creativity is foisted upon you. Ross, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I, I, I've continually banged the drum about our squad registration for Europe. One of the reasons why we signed Scott right at the time is you need to have so many players within your squad who are domestically trained and club trained. So for me, the reason why we, Scott, we signed Scott Wright is there's very few players who are domestically trained available at a reasonable budget. You know, there's a lot of chat on Twitter this week about Lewis Ferguson because he scored. But if we wanted to go for someone like Lewis Ferguson, Aberdeen would be looking for millions. Millions for a player who wouldn't walk into our starting 11. We're not going to pay it. So therefore, you need to try and find alternatives elsewhere that, that boost the squad. And for me, that's what Scott Wright was. But I think we signed Scott Wright as a bit of a short-term um, solution, whilst we had a number of very promising young players out on loan. Josh McPake came through and he was very highly regarded. He's now on loan at Tranmere Rovers. And the other one as well is Kai Kennedy. He's now at Hamilton Ackies, but he's now beginning to get a bit of recognition for his performances at Hamilton Ackies. I think our expectation is that we bring Scott Wright in for a short term, allow guys like Kai Kennedy to go away and develop their game against men and come back ready to compete for a, for a place in, in, in the Rangers squad um, and boosting that registration as a homegrown player. See, I was going to do a wee sort of devil's advocate there. Did we pick the wrong player from Aberdeen and should we have got Lewis Ferguson instead of Scott Wright? But uh, I suppose it's not as easy as that. Um, we'll see. Anyway, you actually, Doug, you make a really good point about these youngsters coming through and uh, Lowry and Leon King and, and Charlie McCann all, all got minutes yesterday. And all three, in, in, in my mind, uh, they, they impressed. Alex Lowry in particular is, is clearly a really, really talented prospect. Um, I think it's fair to say over the past decade or so, the Rangers Training Centre has not produced enough uh, in terms of sustainable first-team appearances. There was so much excitement around Glenn Middleton, uh, and then there was a huge amount of excitement around uh, Ross McCrory. And with McCrory, it was maybe a little bit more longevity out of it, but still neither of them have, have made the grade at Rangers. What do we need to do now to ensure that these three, uh, because Leon King in particular actually has been spoken about for, for a number of years. I remember Leon King's name quickly mentioned when he was sort of 14, 15 years of age. So what do we need to do to make sure that these three, or even one of these three, can go on to be a, a really sustainable long-term option for Rangers? I think the first thing to say is I've been very impressed with Alex Lowry in particular. You know, all three showed up very well against Annan. Um, They are playing in the Lowlands League. They are playing in a B team against teams like Annan in the Cups. So um, I think that, first and foremost, is having a, a, a real 
positive impact when they're able to come into these type of games that they've been used to playing against men. They've been used to um, playing at that that level, so they come in and they are able to impress. Um, but it, it was my mate Andy that made a very interesting point about um, the B team squad registration as well. I could be wrong with this. He's not often wrong with his his, his football knowledge. Um, but one of the things that he said is that um, one of the B team rules is you're only allowed to play for the first team five times within a set transfer window period. So that's also January to the summer. I think Alex Lowry's around four times now for the first team. Um, I think these guys need regular game time, first and foremost. I hope to see Alex Lowry in the in the first team again at some point. He is more than good enough. You know, for a, I think he's just turned 18. He looks a right talent in particular. Um, but if we play him, let's say, for instance, we play him at the weekend, that's him. He needs to play regularly in the first team because he can't then play in, in the B team. Um, I think you'll see Lowry not named amongst the, the, the subs um, for a few months um, because he needs to be playing regular game time. Um, the B team has been good for the development, clearly. Um, but you've spoken about players breaking through of the past. I think we're talking about a different era right now. Um, we all knew that the academy wasn't in the best shape when we were relegated down to the third division. Um, and it's taken us a while to boost it back up again. And I've spoken a lot about our transfer strategy. Nothing shows the success of Auckland Howie more than the sale of Nathan Patterson. If we can get the sale of you know, the value of Nathan Patterson from one of these players, then brilliant. But it was my mate Andy again that made the same point around we've developed both Gilmore and Patterson who are regular Scotland internationalists, but arguably certainly not Gilmore, but arguably neither of them really made a massive impact in the first team. There's obviously mitigating factors. Patterson was behind our captain, James Tavernier, and he was always being groomed to, to, to replace him longer term. But one of the things with these three players is we do need to start seeing them produce in the first team. Alex Lowry's got a great opportunity, um, certainly short term, with, with Hadji's injury. They play a very similar role. Um, I would say Alex Lowry's more effective um, in a wide position than Scott Wright. So I would rather have Alex Lowry than Scott Wright in the first team if I was picking picking one. Um, Leon King. Leon King was given the nod at the same time as, as Jack Simpson. But I would have Leon King ahead of Jack Simpson in the picking order. So, um, you know, for those two players in particular, there's always talk about whether young players are best developed out on loan. You know, go and play men's football, man up, develop physically, come back ready. Lowry looks ready. Patterson didn't go out and loan. There's, there's loads of examples historically at Rangers of young players who came through who didn't need to go out on loan. For me personally, I wouldn't be loaning out Lowry or or King unless they're, they're nowhere near the first team next season. But I would have Leon King as fourth choice centre-back next year with the odd appearance um, in certain games, like the Annan game, but regularly playing um, at any other level that he possibly can. Charlie McCann's probably the, the exception to that. Um, we've spoken about the quality we have in central midfield. Very difficult for Charlie McCann to break through in his position when you have such an abundance of quality and internationalists. He's competing. Let's let's not forget this, right? Aaron Ramsey's currently a bench player at Rangers. Aaron Ramsey's, uh, you know, the Welsh captain. He's played in the Serie A, the English Premiership. He is a top, top professional. That's who Charlie McCann's competing with. Um, I don't think he's quite ready for the first team based on that. Ability-wise, he looks, he looks, he looks 
he looks the part, but I think he's got a wee bit to go in terms of ousting those players. But I really like their, their attitudes. I watched the post-match interviews this morning um, of Lowry and McCann together, um, and their attitudes seem brilliant, and, and that's what's right. When, when young players are coming through, I don't want to name drop John Fleck, for example, but we've seen so many examples historically of young players coming in who have got all the talent, but they don't seem to have the, you know, the work rate, the appetite to really push themselves. And I'm just going to give a kind of couple of um, quotes from from the boys from from yesterday's press uh, from yesterday's interview. So Charlie McCann used the words, "It's only the start. You've got to use every opportunity you can." Alex Lowry said, "We're training with top class players day in day out. It's only going to stand us in good stead if we want to continue to play for this club, because there's always an expect an expectation on you. These are guys that get it." And my last comment on on the two of them is they both credited and thanked the boss for putting that faith in, in, in the players, the young players, to play against Aaron. Um, I think that's a huge part of this. Giovanni Van Bronckhorst had um, a success rate of bringing through young players through the academy at Feyenoord. He's doing it again by giving these guys the minutes. We spoke already about him making 11 changes into the Annan game. I'm not sure Gerard would have made 11 changes, and I'm not sure he'd have played three you know, academy graduates and a, and a young Polish under-21 debutant. Um, so I think while we're talking about these players, I think we've got to credit Giovanni Van Bronckhorst for having the courage um, to put his faith in, in young players and um, hopefully um, with the ability that these guys have got and the attitude they seem to have, then hopefully they repay that faith. See, I wonder what role Dave Voss has to play in all of this as well. Dave Voss's career up until now has been in youth football. Um, and then very successfully so uh, over in Holland. Um, he will know a young player when he sees one. And uh, I, I think we have to put a, a, a great deal of faith in, in him and in Gio and, and, and that setup. Um, Stuart, before we move on to talk about something else, the, front, the most important question of the night is coming to you. Fashion Sakala's goal, did he mean it? Of course he meant it. <laughs> did you um did you see Roy McKay fishing himself yeah. on well I thought I, I, for me that was the that was the the picture of the weekend was you know Roy McKay a guy who has scored glorious goals you know right through Europe at international level absolutely sitting there pissing himself laughing knowing that if he had tried that at the peak of his game 99 times out of 100, you know, 99 times out of 100, it would have disappeared over one of the stands or hit a corner flag or hit a keeper or something like that. And the, the fact that Sakala, I, I mean, if you look at it, he tried to get the ball at pace across the face of goal. The fact that he picks the, the postage stamp at an angle of 145 <laughs> degrees just makes it magnificent. Hence the reason why I think there is so much hilarity. And, you know, and again, if if Mackay was enjoying it, I think he was his, he was enjoy, he enjoyed the goal, but I think he enjoyed Sakala's response to the goal, almost as if I'm going to celebrate this, but I might actually be quite embarrassed when I see this back in the TV. It was it was a it was a magnificent strike. The goalkeeper certainly didn't expect it. All, I mean, the only goalkeeper had to do was move his his arm about six inches, and he might have made a save, but he wasn't expecting it. No, um, he might claim that one in years to come, twenty five years when they've got an anniversary dinner for that that Sakala goal. 
But the fact of the matter is that he was trying to do his best to get it across the goals and with a bit of luck. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I say a smidgen of good fortune. He put it in the, the, the one place in the goal where the goalkeeper wasn't getting it. So you mentioned yeah. the celebration there. I'm enjoying Sakala's repertoire of his celebrations. It's like he's, he's, it's like he's playing FIFA and he's just going through every single celebration. <laughs> he's done the Arfield salute, the, the Morelos knee slide, and now he's done the Ronaldo sue. I'm looking forward to seeing his next goal and what celebration he looks to recreate. recreate. I want to see. I want to see the McCoy's robot. I want to see him. I want to see or a a, a Festino Aspria. Um, double bike <laughs> somersault with reverse flick, just to just to, just to cap off probably the one that goes in off his arse. <laughs> I don't. Like, I genuinely don't think there is any footballer that is more loved by the Rangers fan yeah. base than than fact. And actually, every neutral I think in football at the moment is completely captivated by the guy. Um, he's like Sibo. He's like Sibo with talent. Sibo <laughs> with talent. It's funny because he scored that goal and, and in the replays, Stephen Cragen does this whole sort of, oh, I think I think the wind might have caught that. <laughs> no, it's just, he's twatted it top stanch accidentally. Yeah. That's, that, there's nothing else to it. Like the wind, the wind didn't catch that. Um, gents, we, we're, we're going to move on, but before we do, um, allow me to, to very quickly mention one of our partners that we have here at Jazznet, which is uh, Zenith Coins. Um, obviously they really do look very smart at the moment Zenith are, are running a very special Rangers 150th anniversary collection very limited edition only uh, 1,872 coins available worldwide this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to celebrate Rangers 150th anniversary by owning the limited edition historic Rangers coin collection there are going to be five iconic milestones of Rangers history forged uh, and set into one collection of coins that's going to be the Founding Fathers, Ibrox, uh, the, the Cup Winners' Cup, nine in a row, uh, and number 55 from last year as well. The coins are going to be released in small batches throughout the year. You're going to need to be quick to, to get your hands on one of these. So head over to their website at www.zenithcoins.com to check those out. Uh, Stuart, we'll stick with yourself for the time being. Um, can we we'll just, sorry, sorry can, we just, can we just touch upon the celebrations? If, if there was as much debate about the three midfield players you really, you look at the comments, somebody wants uh, the Klinsman dive, Other yeah. one, somebody else wants the, the Gaza flute, somebody else wants the, uh, was it Kitspire when he, when he booted the advertising holdings. I mean, now we're getting into, we're getting into the realms of some real thought, you know, thoughtful uh, discussion and really what it means to actually see guys scoring goals. The one thing I will say, just going back to Sakala, I don't think I've, seen many players who are as overjoyed and happy and delighted one to just be on the pitch to first starters but when he scores yeah. a goal it's like every goal he scores he celebrates like it was his first and that is just that is just great to see okay we might be comparing him against a certain mr morellis and and you know face like thunder mode but he's actually been a, a joy to behold with the goals that he scored. Yeah. When desisted or not. <laughs> when this is, I, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's um, he's, a, he's a genuine pleasure. I, I remember um, I was at the pre-season game against Real Madrid. And even from that game, which meant nothing, you're already willing this guy, willing him to score. And when he did score, it was... It was Phenomenal, and ever since then, like it's just a, a genuine joy to have representing Rangers. 
Um, but as I say, we're going to move on to something maybe slightly less savoury. Um, and, and Dougie, I'll jump to you now, if I may. Throughout the week, um, and this is not an isolated incident, sadly, there, there's been some uh, very disturbing, shocking, sickening, sectarian graffiti, graffiti um, mocking the, the, the victims of the Ibrooks disaster over at the, the Rangers store in St Enoch. Now, clearly... Um, it's it's reprehensible behaviour. It's disgusting. It's gutter. Um, and whilst we can kind of talk about the the causes of that, um, and and what what really should be done about it, one thing that I think is uh, is very notable is the silence around this. Right. So it, it seems to me that there is a rush to condemn from the political class from from people in positions of power, there's a rush to condemn, in my opinion, Rangers fans whenever, uh, and the club, not just fans, but the club itself, whenever anything is supposedly done wrong by Rangers supporters or anyone associated with the club in any way. Um, and I'm thinking in particular the likes of Dornan, of Hamza. Um, and this isn't going to turn into some sort of anti-SNP, anti-independence, whatever, right? But in my opinion, it's not just the two of them, but but Dornan, he retweeted and instigated a Police Scotland investigation into a clearly fake video in which Catholic Rangers players were apparently singing anti-Catholic slurs, right? He, he, he knew that that was fake. He said, if it's fake, I'll apologise. It was proven to be fake. He didn't apologise, but he stirs up the hatred. So what is the difference here? And why is there no... No outcry. What is the reason for this ongoing double standard, in your view? This is the beauty of the GF's Net podcast, isn't it? We've gone from the ball getting blittered off Sakala's arse into the back of the net to a very serious subject like sectarianism. Um, it's equally as disappointing as it is unexpe- you know, unexpected that um, the reaction that's happened on the back of the instance. You've mentioned the graffiti. There was also evidence of um, a Rangers fan being racially abused by Hibs fans um, at the weekend, uh, midweek. So it's not it's not an isolated incident in terms of um, Rangers supporters being on receiving ends, um, both verbally, physically, um, and, and in the version of, of graffiti, for example, Ross. Um, but let's be honest, we all know the answer. Um, we don't need to go down the the whereabouts of, of, of why it's... <laughs> why it's not being called out. Um, all the politicians that you've just mentioned there all have an agenda against Rangers. Um, we've spoken before um, several months ago about Rangers needing to get smarter in how we handle with certain incidents. Um, our handling of politics in particular isn't brilliant. We don't have a great relationship with the Scottish government and I think that's reflected in these kind of incidents where we don't get that that support from from the government. You referenced the video, for example, which was very clearly fake. It was uploaded by a guy called Willie Wanker. Anyone who thinks that video was real deserves to be sectioned, let alone a you know a, an MP um, representing the Scottish government and James Dornan. But all the crusaders um, within the Scottish government that you mentioned, Dornan, Hamza, these are all self supporters, Celtic season ticket holders. They also recognise the voters um, for the SNP. So they're they're looking to point score 
they're looking to gain votes by um, by calling out Rangers, and they think that you know they're playing to the masses when rain, big bad Rangers do something wrong. And I don't want to sit here and point the finger at um, a minority of Celtic fans here that have you know went and done some very disgusting graffiti where they've you know called out Sicarian language, but they've also um, you know disrespected people who've lost their lives in a in a football and disaster because that's scumbags. And it's important to reflect and realise that Rangers supporters have scumbags in our midst as well. You know, we and amongst our supporters, we have scumbags too. All we want, and it's all I've ever asked for on social media, is parity. It's consistency. When you're calling out a fake video, and as you said, James Dornan said he was going to come out on Twitter and apologise if he was wrong. He never did. When these guys call out these things, you want the same consistency. Nil by mouth. Another organisation are very quiet when it's anti-Protestant racism, for example. They're very vocal at any kind of sound of um, anti-Catholic racism. We just want parity. Um, and for me, that's the most disappointing thing. But in terms of how we handle it, um, we don't know what happens behind the scenes. Rangers historically have always been um, dignified silence. We don't know if Stuart Robertson's on the other end of the phone to Nicola Sturgeon or, or any other members of the Scottish government dealing with this very serious matter. Celtic, and one thing that Celtic do, not just in this kind of incident, but in football incidents as well, is they manage the narrative. And by managing the narrative, they then create their version of events. And I don't want to be a victim. Celtic play the victim in a lot of these things. I don't want to play the victim, but where Celtic play the victim, they also manage the narrative. It's a very fine line between the both. I would like to see us manage the narrative better, um, both with the Scottish government and publicly. Because right now to us as supporters, what we see is we get beat up. Um, I think it was Alex. I can't remember what podcast it was on. I'm sure it was just after we won the league. Alex made a, a comment that didn't resonate with me at the time, but it did afterwards on reflection. And it was... When somebody asks you what team you support, sometimes you quietly say Rangers. And we should not be embarrassed of supporting a, a, an amazing football club and a, a huge establishment, both within Scottish football, British football, world football. Rangers are an amazing football club. It's a joy to support Rangers and to follow Rangers. I am proud to be a Rangers fan. We shouldn't be ashamed to say I'm a Rangers fan after certain incidents. But Celtic fans are so proud of being Celtic fans and they don't care about those kind of incidents. And I think it goes back to that management the narrative. For me, um, I just want to see his managing narrative better. And um, my one concern is, and I don't know what you guys' thoughts on this are, but I don't see Stuart Robertson as a particularly strong leader who would go into the Scottish government and really set that narrative. Um, I'm sure he's got a lot of other... Um, really strong points of being a chief executive, but I don't see him being that really strong leader in those conversations. So that makes me a little bit nervous, but I want to see his manage that narrative a lot better. See, I've always been very quick to kind of defend. So I don't know Stuart Robertson clearly, um, but I would never want the, the, the barometer of his success to be, well, how many people in the Scottish government did he piss off? Right. But, and I know that's, that's clearly that's not what you're saying and I'm taking an extreme position there, but it's it's not about individual incidents, as you say. It's about parity. And if it's about, so why did an obviously faked 
obviously fake video gets so much attention from the personal accounts and, the, and uh, you know a, a lot of the detractors to this will say well it's just twitter who cares it's just social media but it's not it, it, it becomes official communication of an elected representative or elected representatives um uh, and then you take it in another context we had um i think i'm right in saying a, a lecturer or a member of staff at, at glasgow university um this week talking about rangers singing the famine song at the game against Hibs. That's demonstrably a lie, right? It's just untrue. And yet, when there are verifiable um, incidents of sectarianism uh, or just unbelievably vulgar sort of sentiments and narratives, such as um, mockery of the, the Ibrox disaster, one of the worst sporting disasters in British history, it's not an issue. It's not worthy of their time. It's not worth highlighting. Um, Stuart, I, I don't know what your what your thoughts are on this. Um, I will limit my comments on uh, Mr. Dorland, um, basically to say he's a buffoon, um, but he's a dangerous buffoon steeped in republicanism. Um, and I think if that's your starting point, especially in the west of Scotland, then it's a very dangerous place to, to begin and an equally dangerous place to end. Uh, the graffiti that was daubed on the shop, um, that is, is basically, you know, the uneducated and mindless out there that would do that. They have, they will be of an age where they have no recollection whatsoever because they weren't around when something like that happened. Going back to 2011, I sat at the remembrance service at Ibrox and sat beside two Celtic supporters. Uh, one, a, a, a guy probably ages myself um, at that time, and he was there with his dad, and his dad had a, a Celtic scarf on, the old really dark green one, which, you know, probably he got from somebody else. But you could tell these guys were died in the old Celtic fans and had been and were loyal to their club and they were there that day. Why? Because they recognised that what happened to the 66 at Ibrooks back in January 1971 could happen to anyone anywhere at any time and, it, and as, as, as the old fella said, they're but for the grace of God and there are a great many, you know, and, and, and Dougie alluded to it, Rangers have, and they will always have, an element of, you know, clowns amongst their support, the ones that will do. I mean, you look at the game last night, there was nothing happening in that game, and a blue flare ends up on the pitch. Oh, what fun. Look at the smoke. It's on the telly. I'll text my pal. If I had burned a hole in the pitch at Annan, they, Rangers would have been held responsible for that and would have had to have replaced it or had to come up with the, the for monies to actually repair the damage. Every, and it doesn't matter who it is, there is not a, a, a club in the country that does not have their 1% of village idiots that follow them everywhere. And that is, is how I would describe anybody who daubed anything about the victims of the Ibrox disaster on a shop window. If that was if that was 
suddenly to become your father or your sister or your best pal, you might think different of it. And okay, you will uphold people who have died for the same cause as what you might believe in, but they chose to do that. Those people didn't. They went to a football match and never came back. And for me, anybody who does that doesn't actually, you know, they don't actually deserve any airtime or any special treatment or, you know, us sitting here discussing them. The unfortunate thing is it does happen too often. And again, there is nobody that appears to be taking, you know, that argument or that fight anywhere near Hollywood. It seems to be one-sided on these things, and there seems to be guys with agendas that, on the on the balance, or if, if you actually strip them down, that they don't have any argument other than playing the one card all the time, and that is about division. We don't need that in Scotland. Ross, one of the things that I was going to touch on as well is last weekend there was footage come out of a, a church in Coatbridge, I think it was, with... Um, pro IRA chanting, for example, at a Celtic event from supporters. Again, it's another example. If that was Rangers supporters singing sectarian songs, it would be all over the press. It's not just the politics, it's the media as well. There's just a silence, and I think that's the bit for me. You know, as Stuart said, yes, there'll always be the village idiots, but I, I want to see I want to see it called out equally, um, whatever the incident is. Um, and I think the club need to do more. I think that's probably a safe place to leave this um, because it's it's a it's a hugely emotive topic. Clearly, um, it, it's kind of I've actually had it pointed out to me that James Dornan tweeted a couple of days ago, "Oh, the graffiti at the Rangers store is is abhorrent." Um, and if anyone thinks that what we've just spoken about for the past 10-15 minutes is negated by one tweet you've missed the point. You've completely missed the point. Um, and I think that's that's probably where we'll we'll have to leave it for, for this afternoon as we've, we've run over a wee bit there. Um, so apologies for that. I really hope you've enjoyed the show this afternoon, uh, this evening. Uh, as always, a, a massive thank you to, to both Dougie and to Stuart for giving up their, their Sunday evening to, to join me in Chat Rangers. It's always very, very much appreciated. And a big thanks as well to everyone who's, uh, who's joined us on YouTube. It's been very active debate from who should be in the Rangers midfield to how should Fashion Sakala celebrate his next goal um, hopefully both of those questions will be answered on Thursday as Rangers with Dortmund uh, for what is probably the most exciting and glamorous time since uh, the, the, the awful events of, of uh, February 2012 uh, the administration in one year ago uh, ten years ago tomorrow I should say um, so it's a, a really exciting week for Rangers fans we will of course be back to preview that game uh, so keep your eyes on the Jazznet YouTube channel and the Jazznet Twitter feed for all the details of the preview show. And as always, we'll be back next Sunday for the main show. That's 9.30pm on the Jazznet YouTube channel. Thanks again for everyone who's, who's joined us tonight and downloaded the show. It's very much appreciated. We look forward to speaking to you again next week. Until then, stay safe and goodbye for now. <laughs>